James is all about putting boots on the ground. I'm not sure if you knew this, but Jesus had a little brother. Well, he had a few half-brothers and sisters, but we literally are going to start a brand new series and focus on James today. His other siblings, as mentioned in Matthew 13, there was Joseph and Simon and Judas and sisters. Uh, We don't know their names. But if you think of it, Mary and Joseph had quite the large family. Can you imagine having Jesus as your son? Just that. The, The son of God. We talk about this a lot during Christmas time, but, but literally, God living in your house. <laughs> I, I don't know how you do that. Kids are supposed to rebel a little bit and not be obedient and not be kind and not clean up their room and not come in on curfew. That's kids. And not Jesus. Now, actually, I don't know if he didn't come in on curfew, but I do know Jesus was the Son of God. And he was 100% human, which means he experienced all the things we normally do, and also 100% God. But can you imagine James growing up with Jesus as the big brother? Now, most of us, you know, in a healthy family, we we look up to those who are older than us. We do. But Jesus always did what he was told. He was always selfless. He was always kind. And James had a sin nature. We all have a sin nature, except for Jesus. Jesus. So we have the bent toward selfishness, and we have a bent toward, well, us. And here we have the original and perfect and terrific big brother, always making right choices, and James. Can can you just imagine it? Does he, how does he, where does that... Just a little bit of frustration. And then there was the day, I'm sure, Mary and Joseph told James and the rest of the guys and gals the story. Uh, The reason Jesus is like this, well, he's the king. He's God's son. Come on, ma. Are you serious? Yeah, I, I am. And then Joseph would put his two cents in, and, and, and James. I, I know, we're, we're kind of, you know, juggling this whole thing, too. Dad, come on. Will you see him? You see how he responds? Well, this isn't a game. He lives in our house. Ugh. Oh, James. But something happened to James. Something absolutely transformed him. And we're going to be looking at a letter that he wrote 
over these next few weeks. But before we do, let's pray. Let's pray. Father, I just ask that we would hear your voice today. Lord, there's so many things in the scriptures I think we just wonder about. We wish we had more details, or we wish you would uh, talk a little bit more about certain subjects, or that you would bring up certain subjects. But God, we have your word, and it's perfect. And you took a brother, Jesus' brother, and at the right time, he responded to you. And at the right time, he poured his heart out so that we might be able to understand a little better of what it means to follow his brother, Jesus. You're changing all of us, Father. You are. You're, you're chipping away things in our life that don't reflect you well. So many here, Father, deeply desire to follow you and want to obey you and want to listen to you. Lord, we know that you died on the cross so that we might have our debt paid for and that we could be restored to you. And Lord, we are grateful. We pray that you teach us today. There's so much in your word and there's so much we need to hear. So would your spirit be so abundantly active? Would, would it teach us and convict us and encourage us all at the same time? We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Let's try to put some things in perspective and then we'll jump into the letter. If you're newer here at Crosspoint, we have a tendency to go through books of the Bible. And when we first start a new study... We spend a little bit of time just trying to understand who the author was, when the letter was written. So when we open up the book, or the letter in this case, we'll understand a little bit more of what was happening in that first century. It's a whole lot easier for us to apply then some of those scriptures to each one of us. So we're going to start there. My question is who is James? We, we know that he's Christ's half-brother, but we don't have a whole lot about him. We don't know a whole lot about him. We can put some pieces together, and I'm going to give you kind of a big picture right now. We know that James didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah as he was growing up. I don't blame him. In some ways, it would have been hard but, but we know he didn't trust Jesus in John chapter 7 that tells us. We also know this, that he probably came to faith after a visit from the resurrected Jesus. We find in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that, that Jesus, after he rose from the dead, went around meeting some of his disciples, and the scriptures tell us over 500 different people. And one of those people was James. And can you imagine that reunion? Maybe James was a little skeptical at this moment. We don't know for sure. But my guess is, is once you see your brother who is totally mutilated, dead, 
put in a grave. And then he's walking around talking to you like nothing happened. How amazing, how cool that would be. So probably that made a big impact. But what I want to say is this. In spite of great upbringing, it took James some time to respond. I mean, we know that Mary and Joseph were amazing parents. We know they loved God. They, they were chosen specially to raise Jesus. So I got to believe all the rest of the kids heard about God faithfully. They were amazing parents. But for some reason, James didn't respond. He didn't respond till he was an adult. It gives us hope, I think. For some of our kids and, and some of our friends who, who just seem to be putting a stiff arm up, not really embracing who God is or desiring even to want him. It took James some time. We know, though, by the time Acts chapter 1 came along, all right, Jesus had just given his go into all the world speech. Wait here. The Holy Spirit is going to come and indwell you, empower you. It's going to allow you to be able to be my witnesses right here in Jerusalem and in Samaria and in Judea and in all parts of the world. You're going to be equipped. You're going to ready, be ready to go out. And then Jesus leaves. In Acts chapter 1, you find that some of the disciples are named. And they're gathering around. And they're trying to, what just happened? It's up to us? Oh, oh boy. How, how do we do this? What do we do? And one of those folks, Acts chapter 1, verse 14, was James. We find out later as the scriptures kind of un unveil themselves and as the new church and this church is birthed and the story of Acts tells about how all of the world hears the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, one of the incidents that happened was in Acts chapter 9. This is right about the time that the apostle Paul got saved. But Paul, at this moment, knew that James was a pillar in the church. He had already risen to leadership. People were looking to him. He was making great choices right now. And Paul sought him out. We know again in Acts chapter 12, and some of you again have read through the book of Acts, but Acts chapter 12 is a pretty amazing chapter. It's where Paul, excuse me, Peter was literally put in prison. And God miraculously, well, delivered him. Early part in this church history. And Peter wanted to make sure that James knew he was okay. The church had been praying. We also know later on in Acts chapter 15, it's another critical chapter in the Bible. But what happens is that grace and the law kind of hit heads. The Jewish believers wanted the Gentile believers to sort of follow the law. But that isn't why Jesus came. Jesus came to fulfill the law completely. 
And basically there was this argument when a little Jewish boy was at a certain age, he would be circumcised, that, and this circumcision would point to a, well, a visible sign that says, hey, I follow God. Well, the Jews wanted Christians to do the same. And there was this meeting of the leaders of the church at that time. And James was one of them. In fact, James not only was one of them, James was the one that literally wrote the letter to all the other churches explaining that, well, people come to faith by God's grace alone. It actually is pretty important because sometimes as we read through James, you might get a little bit confused. James' wise and convincing words right here, as he writes to all these Christians all over, become the basis for Jerusalem Council's decision to affirm the gospel of salvation by grace alone in faith alone. Paul continued to see him as a pillar. Now, what else do we know about James? Well, that's about all there is in the Scriptures, a few other verses here and there. But we do know this from history and some of the documentation, that he was greatly esteemed for his piety. In fact, he had a nickname. His nickname was Camel Knees. And the reason he was called Camel Knees is that he had spent so much time praying on hard surfaces on his knees. So we know he was a prayer, and you'll see that in his letter. Josephus, who always wasn't kind to the Christian church, he, he kind of was a historian with a Roman bent, he reports that James was stoned to death because of his faith probably about 62 A.D. A few hundred years later, tradition continued, and there was an elder kind of a church historian. His name was Eucabeus. It's probably not how you say it, but I'm going to say it that way. Recounts that he was thrown from the pinnacle of the temple and then beaten to death with a club. All I'm saying is whatever account you want to take, his death was not pretty. The details were brutal and unjust. But that's how James died. He wrote his letter a little bit before the Jerusalem Council. It was one of the earliest letters. It was one of the earliest scriptures that we literally have. Now, he wrote it to Jewish believers, those who used to be part of the Hebrew faith and recognized that Jesus was the Messiah and followed him. They were new creations, but they still had grown up with all of the temple stuff, all of the sacrificial system. They're trying to figure out, how, how does this affect me now? They were scattered literally all over the empire at that time because of the persecution. At this time, these Jewish believers were persecuted by the Roman emperor Claudius. He drove them from the city of Jerusalem. Jewish businesses were boycotted. Jewish children were mocked and thrown out of schools. Times were harsh and life was grim for these Jewish believers at this time. 
Not only were they subject to Roman ire because of their Jewishness, but many had been driven out of their Jewish communities where they grew up because of their faith in their newfound Messiah. The Romans were against them. Their families were against them. It was not a great time in history. It was in this context of suffering, confusion, defection, that James wrote his letter. In fact, one of the things that will stick out as you begin to read James, and I hope you do, I hope that you'll be able to spend some time, it's only five chapters long, and you'll be able to hear James's heart in light of all these things. But, but it's a little bit different letter. It's a letter literally with 60 imperatives. James was intense. He was not suggesting much He was commanding in the name of Jesus. Lives were at stake, and he needed them to understand. He shares what authentic faith lived out in a hostile world looks like. Let me say that again. He shared what an authentic faith looked like living in a hostile world. Is that today? Is it? I I don't know if you've lost jobs, if you've been persecuted like that, but our world is certainly hostile against Jesus and his way and his followers. But James is not discussing an array of miscellaneous problems. If you read in 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians, the apostle Paul saying, hey, there's a problem with disunity. Hey, there's a problem with the Lord's Supper. Hey, there's a problem. And talks about all these different things. James actually doesn't. He focuses on spiritual immaturity. Basically, in spite of the hard times that these Jewish believers were going through, he saw that Christians simply were not growing up. They were not trusting God. They were not listening. They didn't have boots on the ground. Even in our text today that we're going to open up, James uses the word perfect, which doesn't mean perfect. It means mature. It means complete. By a perfect man, James didn't mean a sinless man, but one who is mature, who is balanced, who is grown up, who is complete, who is able to trust God no matter what the circumstances or situations are. James was saying life is hard, but you need to grow up. You need to trust God. God, you need to recognize that Jesus is in control. You may not like it, but you need to understand it. Right now, so many churches are filled with spiritually immature believers, attendees that know a lot about God, a lot about the Word, but they don't obey it. 
Immature believers focus on themselves, on their needs, on their comfort. They go into churches for what they can get, not what they can give. They have bought into the cultural idols of comfort, ease, and safety. Warren Wiersbe, one of my professors in grad school, loved his practical perspective. He said this, and I quote him, Over a quarter of a century of ministry, I am convinced that spiritual maturity is the number one problem in our churches. God is looking for mature men and women to carry on his work, and sometimes all he can find are little children who can't even get along with each other. You know, the main theme of the book of James is that real faith produces genuine works. In other words, actions speak louder than words. It's boots on the ground. It's moving from theory or chalkboard to actions. You see, your boots on the ground show what is important. Who is your God? and what you believe. You'll say, Rick, that's a very odd piece of artwork. You've got an old Converse gym shoe. It is not boots on the ground. Well, my guess is this, is most of us don't lace up boots every day. We don't. We're not sent you know, to a foreign territory and, and, and have all the military kind of paraphernalia on. But you know what? Every day we put our gym shoes on or our casual or whatever you want to call them, flip-flops. Someday we'll put flip-flops on again, all right? Maybe today, okay? Some of you crazy people. So, so this could be flip-flops on the ground because what James is literally saying is, how do we live out all that you taught us, Jesus? You see, Jesus' followers are becoming more and more like Jesus. That's why we follow Jesus. As we spend time with Jesus, we treat others differently. We spend our time differently. And because he's our Savior and our Lord, we listen to him. And when we listen to him, we stick out like sore thumbs. Because we're not selfish, and we are kind. Not that we always listen, but, but that's who Jesus was. James was highly influenced by Jesus. Although he didn't come to faith later, he lived with Jesus. We know he hung out with Jesus. We know that he saw the miracles of Jesus. We do. But one of the things that really affected him was the Sermon on the Mount. James was on the same journey as we are, learning so we can live like Jesus. In fact, we're going to start off, and some of you are saying, Rick, that is absolutely the longest introduction I've ever heard. Like, we even opened up James yet. How long are you going? Don't worry. We, we normally get out here well before 1 o'clock, Okay. <laughs> 
But if you would turn to Matthew before we turn to James, I think it's important. Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. We're going to literally start in the Sermon on the Mount. You see, for James, this message was unbelievable. Folks, if, if you've not spent much time in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, it may be the greatest sermon you'll ever, ever read about, really. This was Jesus just pouring out his heart, helping people understand what the kingdom looks like, how we're to respond to other people. This book, I mean, this message will influence you like maybe no other message. So for three chapters, Jesus pours out his heart, all right, and he ends with this illustration. Chapter 7, verse 24. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds his house on solid rock or a good foundation. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against the house, it won't collapse because it's built on bedrock. But anyone who listens to my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish. Like a person who builds a house on the sand. When the rains and the floods come and the winds beat against the house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. Jesus is saying this. My words are amazing. They're life-giving. I just talked to you three chapters on how you treat other people in my kingdom. What my kingdom looks like. It's so different. Now here's how he ended. You listen to my words, you're wise. You don't listen to my words, you're not so wise. We can put all kinds of adjectives there. But the truth is this, is that Jesus said, I have given you the words to life. James bought it. He literally is saying all the way through his book, hey, if Jesus said it, let's do it. Well, why wouldn't we do it? Tell me, why wouldn't we do it? We, we should do it. Let's do it. He also spent a whole lot of time in Proverbs. And if you spend any time in Proverbs, it almost drives you crazy. Because in our Western mindset, we would like to have something just flow and have a point to a chapter and all this. And, and you read one verse, and then all of a sudden, boom. Okay, you're talking about money here. Then all of a sudden, you're talking about raising kids over here. Then you're talking, whoa, like, whoa, what's wrong with you? And James sort of does this. There are 12 major points in James in five chapters, and they're all mixed all in there. And we're going to be enjoying a feast from the half-brother of Jesus. Chapter 1 literally sums up James' main ideas and his key words. It will be a springboard for the whole series. So let's do that. Let's open up James chapter 1. And we're going to look at verses 1, 2, 3, and 4. Let me read it as soon as I get there. This letter is from James, 
a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm writing to the 12 tribes, Jewish believers scattered abroad. Greetings. Hi there. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind... Folks, I'm going to read this, but you are going to, if you're following me, going, this is how you start your letter? Like, come on! I'm going to start again. Dear brothers and sisters, not even any more hellos. How are you guys doing? How's... No. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind. I know some of you are starting to write in your Bibles. That's so good. I would circle any kind. Now again, not everyone of you respond right now. I understand that. You probably go home and do it right away. But I'm saying it's worth it. Any kind. Come your way. Consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect. And again, that's almost in every one of your translations. I would certainly write to the side there, mature complete. Oh, there it is anyway. Be perfect and complete, needing nothing. This James, this humble James, declares himself right in the beginning, like most books, as a slave of God and Jesus. How different. Hey, my friends, my friends who are scattered all over, who have been scattered because of persecution where life is hard, I want you to know something. Let there be joy when troubles, troubles of any kind, come your way. And I'll tell you, I loved that picture up there on the screen. To me, this is exactly captures what James is saying. How do you smile with tears coming down at the same time? I think that's what he's saying. He's saying, do do you understand that God has a plan? Do you understand he's way smarter than you? Do you understand that God is walking with you? One of the Psalms I literally quote every day is Psalm 23. It's not because I'm really slow and I just need to understand. But I am really slow and I need to be reminded that the Lord is my shepherd. He is always with me. He walks with me. He guides me. He strengthens me. Yes! That is so cool. Because life is hard. Well, can't God like... You know, I kind of came to faith thinking like, you know, my bank account would be good. I'd get that special lady. All my kids would listen to me. We would have no car accidents. Really? 
I, I never see any of that in the scriptures. What I see is when you go through a dark valley, you know what happens? I will be with you. That's it. Boom. You mean you're not going to take it away? No. You mean, no, I'm promising you my presence. The world is hard. The world is broken. And sometimes you go through hard times because you are not very smart. But sometimes you go through hard times because other people are not very smart or obedient. Or sometimes you don't know why did Silver Birch have a derecho just a few months ago in the very center of camp where 2,000 trees come down? You get up the next day and you go, <laughs> where did this come from? <laughs> hey, God, God, there's, there's kids that need to hear about Jesus. Hey, God, do you, God, were you sleeping for just a little bit? Ten minutes? Folks, you all have the derechos in your life. It's, it's the time when your boss comes to you. And it's an unplanned meeting. And you go in the office. And there's not a lot of, hi, Jim, how you doing? And within 10 minutes, you're at your desk, you're clearing it out, and you're leaving. Hey, wait a minute, God, I just bought a new house. <laughs> yeah. It was a house we were going to. Oh. Well, you know what? You're 40 years old. You're planning a long life, prosperous. You're not feeling so good. You go to the dock. And within hours, you get news. Well, wait a minute. I've got kids. I've got a wife. Lord, are, like, what, what did you... Whoa, God, aren't you in control? Don't you... Every one of us have troubles. But James says this, in spite of all those troubles, you guys have lost jobs. You guys have been pelted. I want you to know, you can have joy. Because joy is not happiness. Joy is confidence that Jesus is walking with you through these troubles. And so in spite of hurt, pain, agony, disappointment. Just about every day things don't go your way. Isn't that right? Our world's so broken. Don't you see that? And James is, is pumping their tires. How cool is this? He says, Keep trusting God, because as you trust God, your endurance grows. And as your endurance grows, you fully develop into someone mature. Why? Because fully developed endurance makes you mature. Makes you able to stand up 
in the waves, in the wind. That is what I want. And that is what James is saying. Wow. First Peter. Peter says the same thing. First Peter chapter 1, verse 6. So be truly glad. There's wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. Through your faith, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold, So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring much praise and glory and honor in the day that Jesus Christ revealed the whole world. I knew I was going to talk on trials today. Came to church, everything was just fine. Computer working, printer working. Then all of a sudden everything went berserk. I am trying desperately to print one piece of paper. Everything looks absolutely terrific. I'm trying to transfer things from my office up to that place where the brains are of the operation. Nothing, 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 nothing. And all of a sudden I said, hey, I'm talking about trials. Of course this is going to be a disaster this morning. (laughs) I don't know why it started working, but anyway, it was sort of a disaster this morning. Let's go to James chapter 1, verse 12. Verse 12. God blesses, God blesses, again, mark your Bibles, folks. This is worth it. It's worth the memorize. It's worth the see it. But God blesses those who permanently endure troubles. That's testing and temptation. Your endurance means life, though. Let's read. God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterwards, they will receive the crown of life that God promised to those who love him. And remember, when you're being tempted, do not say, God is tempting me. God is never tempting you to do wrong. He never tempts anyone. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. God says, I will bless those who patiently endure both testing and temptation, who remain standing. Your endurance means life. That's a promise from God. Now remember, God never tempts or entices you to sin. That only comes from the enemy. It does. Let me remind you that Jesus was led into the wilderness where he was tempted by the devil in Luke chapter 4. And so many of you know the story. He was led in the wilderness by the Spirit. And then the enemy tempted him. He was tempted three times. He answered with Scripture every single time. He remained standing at the end. And there's an interesting verse, verse 13 of Luke chapter 4. And this is what Luke, Dr. Luke writes. 
When the devil had finished tempting Jesus, he left him until the next opportunity came. Now, if I was a devil, I'd say, well, I'm, this isn't, I'm not going after this guy. He's not going to, yeah, he's not doing it. He's not giving in. But again, if the enemy goes after Jesus, he's going to go after you. He's going to go after me. And there's times it's going to be relentless. But <clears throat> let me remind you that if you endure, you stand the test, you listen to God, you put your faith in him, all this leads to strengthening just like discipline and life. Now, here's a promise. You've, you've got to hear this verse, too. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. And this is written by the Apostle Paul. And he says this, The temptations in your life are no different than what others experience. Everybody has these certain temptations. And God is faithful. It doesn't mean God's faithfully going to tempt you. He's not, no, he's faithful to be there for you. He will not allow a temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so you can endure. It's all about enduring. It's about enduring. It's about standing. You know, I'll show you a picture of a group of guys that went to no regrets last night or yesterday. <clears throat> One of the things... <clears throat> that happened at this conference. It was an amazing conference. But one of the things that happened at this conference, over and over and over again, there were speakers, there were people that were pumping these guys' tires to make right choices. But more than that, there were seminars on temptation. There were seminars on sexual purity. There were seminars on you go, how to be honest in the workplace all pumping people's tires, all recognizing that there are going to be temptations, they're going to be hit on. You are going to be a target. And I am so proud of these guys as I talked with, not all of them, but some of them, on the way home. What did you get? What did you hear? How were you strengthened? And they the ones I chatted with were encouraged to stay the course and endure in spite of the onslaught, in spite of what the world tosses at you. Let me wrap up. We only have a few minutes, but let's look at James 1, 16, 17, and 18. So James writes to this group of beat-up believers. Don't be misled, dear brothers and sisters. Whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God our Father who created all the lights in heaven. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. He chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word. And we, out of all of creation, became his prized possession. You know, don't be misled. God's ways are always good and God's ways are always perfect. We may not see it. 
But God is consistent, and God never wavers. He doesn't. And maybe what you need to hear in the midst of, thank you, in the midst of what? Wow. In the midst of going through some of these really, really, really hard times is that you are a treasured possession. You are. God knows that. God knows this world is broken. That breaks his heart. The creation yearns for Jesus' return, for this world and for the kingdom to totally come. Oh, it's going to be a glorious day. But right now it's broken. And you and I, we can stand. We can trust God. We recognize that, that those who are part of his family are special to him. And just like you would never want anything to happen to your children. Never. You'll do everything to put a bubble around them and protect them. But there are times you've got to take your hand off the bike. And watch them crash. God's going to do everything in our lives to bring about good. We don't see it. But the joy we will have is walking with God. And that's what we love to do here at Crosspoint is help you on that journey. Let's pray. Father, we look at James and we think in some ways he's crazy. We want life that's easy and we want life that's predictable and we want comfort and we want ease and God hardly ever happens. But you promised. You promised to walk with us You gave us Jesus as an example of how to walk in a broken world. And you're chipping away all of us in a way, Lord, that would bring you honor and glory. Lord, would we listen to you? Would we be like a house on a firm foundation? Would we, God, be ones that know your word? We can quote your word. We live your word. We are people that not only know about you, but know you and please you by our actions. That's what James saw. And that's what we want. We know, Lord, that even this time, we are going to... We'll partake in the Lord's Supper. We are a forgetful people. And we forget all that you do for us. So we pray even now, God, as, as we take the bread and the cup, that we could remind ourselves of your blessings in our life, of what this relationship cost you, 
and even the desire to endure through all kinds of trials. In Jesus' name, amen.